Welcome to The Breakthrough with Stephen Houston, the show that takes you behind the scenes with successful entrepreneurs, real estate investors, and other movers and shakers in the business world. In each episode, we'll sit down with our guests to explore their personal and professional journeys, including the challenges they faced, the breakthrough moments that propelled them to success, and the strategies and the tactics they used to get there. Get inspired by new ideas and strategies and get to know our guests on a deeper level. Join us for candid conversations, powerful insights, and plenty of breakthrough moments. Please help us grow by subscribing and sharing the podcast and welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Breakthrough Podcast with Stephen Houston. Today we've got Adam Mayberry, the mind behind the Mayberry Workshop. Today's episode is a journey into the heart of property development, where Adam and I peel back the layers of what it truly means to maximize the potential of your space. We're talking innovation, we're talking strategy, and we're not shying away from the controversies that come with it. Adam and I get real about property value. No fluff, just stories. Ever wondered how your property could be a goldmine? Adam and I dive into the distinctive strategies of Mayberry Workshop, unveiling how we transform properties into hidden treasures. Buckle up, hit play, and join the conversation with Adam Mayberry on the Breakthrough Podcast. Adam, I appreciate you coming on. I know yeah, we've, we've been playing back and forth for a couple weeks, but I think we've talked about, I've, I know that I've told you that I wanted to get you on the podcast because, you know, I think the what was it a couple years ago where I met you at that investor meetup and you were discussing doing ADUs and that was becoming a really popular thing uh, in California. And from where I'm at in San Jose, you know, it was definitely the buzzword people were talking about it. So I met you there and we've been in connection. We've been in contact this whole time. We've talked about projects hasn't worked out yet. Um, I think partly the reason why it hasn't is just these timelines with the city of San Jose are absolutely nuts and yeah yep. costly right yeah yeah if you're turn and burn kind of investor it's uh it's hard to think about that carry cost for sure yeah but, yeah we, we we talked through uh i think it was the mastermind or like small investor meetup it was probably five years ago or was so. it really that long? Oh my god! I think so because I know I'm still living in San Jose. I live in I live in Davis, California now. But um, that was 2019 at least. It might have been 18 or 19, which is about four or five years ago now. Wow! So time yeah. goes by. I can't believe that. I thought it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, <laughs> COVID. We definitely had a couple couple years vanish from us. That's uh, true. Our, our lost so. years. So you're you're up in you're up in Davis now, currently. Um, and then where are you doing most of your work out? Where, where is it all based out of? Is it most, mostly in Silicon Valley? So a lot of our work is, is we'd say Bay area and now we're saying Northern California. So we have a builder, um, partner that's in the Bay area in, in the San Jose area. Uh, we kind of have home base there when I'm there working, we don't have any people working out of that office yet, but. Um, we did have a larger office in downtown, I think with work from home and all that didn't make sense financially mm -hmm. to keep a large office. I moved my family up to Davis and we have an office here now. Um, 
for people to come to if they need to, but we will go Gilroy to Napa, Sonoma County, Sacramento. Okay. Um, East Bay, West Bay, North Bay, South Bay. Um, if we need to go to Central Valley, Central Coast, Wine Country, or San Luis Obispo, that's where I went to school. So I'll run down there if I need to. Uh, what about Santa Cruz? To be back, but oh yeah, what Santa Cruz the- Aptos. We're doing okay. we're doing work in Santa Cruz Aptos um, right now too. So, so why don't you give a little breakdown of what what you're into and what you do? Like, what are the types of uh, developments you've been doing, and what are what's your bread and butter? I mean, I know you from the very beginning of doing uh, ADUs, which is an accessory dwelling unit. Basically, what it is, is, you know, if you have a single family home and you have a detached garage, you can build an ADU and and uh, basically have it for, you know, another rental or a family member. What 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 are you doing and what are, what are people in California looking to do at this point? Yeah, it's a that's a big question um, <laughs> because, you know, our practice um as an architect has really always been geared towards development. Uh, I have a background, I have a master's degree in how to do development as an architect. Um, And I've really used that as a value add to my clients. And so, um, you know, my first wood frame project I designed and permitted was a duplex that I developed with a partner of mine in San Jose. Um, that was about the same time ADUs were coming on board and I split off from the, the firm I was working at, uh, Studio Current, which is also kind of an architect development practice. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Current, I worked with him at Swenson. Um, and so he's split off with, with me. Yeah, Swenson builder, developer. They're, they're everything too. They have architecture. <laughs> so we have, I have that background. Um, but ADUs were being streamlined kind of simultaneously by the city of San Jose and the state. So San Jose did want to make ADUs easier because they knew that was an entry level to adding housing. The state similarly was pushing for deregulation of ADUs. And so my involvement with the city of San Jose from a planning zoning perspective and rule making perspective i i know those people that do you know large multifamily towers and stuff downtown because we were working on entitlements or feasibilities on those projects and they're the ones making the rules for the ADU laws so i was brought in as a as a uh, stakeholder so i knew on the ground floor some of these rules and really got into understanding state law and how it was changing and those those type of projects, they have zoning requirements, which most smaller designer kind of people doing these these smaller projects aren't used to that amount of bureaucracy uh, and and legislation that that goes around the ordinances and creating also they are developments for a homeowner. You know, it's different than a flip or a renovation where. You're like, I want to move a wall and I want to pick out some finishes, but, you know, permitting is fairly easy. When you get an ADU, you have zoning criteria, fire separation, height, bulk, mass, 
design criteria, you know, full foundation, full utility hookups, all these things that have to go with a large development. And I really cut my teeth on designing and feasibilities of developments like Santana Row. So when you think of a vertical and horizontal spatial arrangement, if you ever walk around Santana Row, you see, okay, you got some storefronts. You also have multifamily entrances on multiple sides. You have parking garages in some of those buildings. You have garage pickup for all the multi, all the retail and the housing there. Um, so there's four or five, even like eight entry points on a building that have to go horizontally and vertically. And it's this really complex piece fitting together. Like a so puzzle. I've, yeah, it's, it really is. It's, it's really complex. So I designed a couple of those um, developments out in um, Summerlin, Nevada, where Red Rock is like a huge, big development out in that area in Colorado. Um, and one other one early on. And uh, by the same architects that did the Santana Row. And so like, I really understood like the, how to, how to create space and scale and using that to, I don't say find loopholes, but have advantages for my clients has been, has been a big benefit um, to us as a practice of, of having an edge and for our clients that, you know, trusted us to go through the process. But like you say, in the city of San Jose, um, timelines are tough. They are probably, if you want to say, ADUs and these and the SB9s, they're probably the most, one of the most aggressive from uh, allowing the ADUs and the, and the speed. They, what is it, the speed it, like? Tell me, walk me. So let's just say a homeowner is listening to this right now and they want to build an ADU. What can they expect if they went through one of the predetermined, uh, they have packages, right? Are, are different types of floor plans you can pick from that are a little bit faster to, to get built. Is that correct? Yes. So the San Jose has a great system there. It's an open market. So anyone, not, I won't I'll say anyone, but anyone that would qualify for the program can have their floor plan available. Uh, we've helped them create that so that there's not an advantage to people um, with the city giving them away for free. Because as a as an architect, you know we we have a free for service. They're basically saying, "Here, your service is free." But um, but we we've controlled those plans, so we do let the design and and delivery model speak for itself. But with the pre-approved plans, we have three of them currently. We also have like flexible floor plans that we're thinking about getting permitted there, which would expand it to, I think it's forty eight different units if we get that approved. Um, 40 different style, like different, like it's floor plans? sizes. Yeah. It's different sizes. Uh, okay. Studio, one bedroom and two bedroom. That's cause flexible size. So you can get kind of bigger or smaller, depending on how much you can fit on your property. So that's but, a whole nother topic right there, right? That's a, as that's far a, as yeah, the, it's a completely different topic, but. <laughs> okay. But we should get into that part as well. So, yeah, because so it's the, curious. Some people just don't know what they can actually fit on their lot because every lot is obviously a different size. Right. And shape. So our floor plans, yeah. So our floor plans with the city stands that we have a 532 square foot one bedroom. We like to 
say that's our minimum viable pl- product uh, for a nice livable unit, rentable couple, I'm a young family in there, but uh, you know, single person or couple or grandma or uh, you know, son or daughter that just graduated from college wants to move back home but have their own place. It's a great unit for them. We have a two bedroom, two bath, seven forty nine. That's the most bang for your buck unit. Um, it has a nice shared living area in the middle. Bedroom off to the lot, left with the bathroom. Bedroom off to the right with a bathroom. You don't have the entitlement fees because you're under 750 square feet and it's just a really efficient model. Have big, nice 14, 15 foot ceilings in that. And then we have a 900 square foot, which is, it used to be the max in San Jose. Of course, right. When we got that permitted. They changed it to 1000. So, um, oh, we're wait, not quite, so there's a thousand now. Thousands of max in San Jose. Yeah. And you could also do two stories. But let me finish that that wow, answer because okay. uh, because uh, with our our product, we'd be able to get you a permit within a week of scheduling an appointment um, with the city. So we schedule an appointment Tuesdays are the appointment windows. Once we schedule that, we can have it reviewed and approved that next week. The limiting factor is typically two things. One, getting a hydrant flow letter from the city of San Jose, the San Jose Water Company, just to know that what what the nearest hydrant is, location, and and flow rate to make sure it meets the threshold of uh, the fire department needs for fighting a fire if there's a fire there. That's typically 10 to 15 business days to get that letter given their their backup at the water company. If you're in a water, special water district, you, you need to get that from whatever that water district is. So if there's any clients out there that are interested, shoot them a message, get the hydrant flow letter ahead of time. The other one is, um, yes, yeah, sign a contract, getting a floor plan done. We can get the floor plan site plan created in a few days. Once we know exactly where that's going to fit, we upload the drawings to the city, say they're here, set us the quickest appointment and we can have a permit turned around in a couple of days, a couple, yeah, a couple of days, about a week. Do you need to get a survey done? It's not required. We typically okay. want a survey created if you want it really tight to the property line, three feet or less. Um, because if you build over that setback or over that property line without knowing uh, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so either okay. if you're a builder and have a surveyor that'll come stake lines for you, you don't need a survey. Um, or if you require your survey, your contractor to have a surveyor stake the lines out, um, we can site plan could, could typically be a, a diagram, but if they don't have the survey, you know, and if there's utility easements, we want to know. So getting a, hyperlinked title report from your, your a title company is important for that as well. We'll be able to figure out if there's any easements or covenants that we didn't know. We've had a sewer line going, it's actually a storm drain going through the rear of someone's property in Redwood City. And that was a garage that was built on the property line. So the easement was going underneath the property, underneath the garage, which we didn't know. 
So rebuilding the, the garage in its place was uh, an issue. We, we figured it out, but not the easiest circumstance to come up with last minute. Yeah, to figure out how to get around the sewer line under in the ground, right? And, and being able to run your own plumbing. Is that what was the issue? Well, the issue was that we weren't supposed to build in the easement, which we already no. had a building that we were converting. It was already there. Yeah. And the, and the client wanted us to redo the roof to make it taller, to add a loft. It's very nice when it got done. So we just had to work with our engineer and the public works department to make sure that we weren't putting any pressure on that sewer um, storm drain because right. any pressure the building could, could burst it. So we just had to show a diagram of how it was off and locate the, get a real location of where the pipe was. And they, it took a few rounds. Sometimes these uh, departments aren't very clear as to what the requirement is or how we can get past the requirement that you kind of have to ask those questions. Like what, what would make you, what would give you the okay of us doing this? Right. Instead of like, oh, we can't. So we're just going to throw our hands up and go. Do you think that because you've done all this legwork, so to speak, for a few years on this, that your speed to get them done is is much quicker than, say, your average contractor that's maybe building one or two of these a year and that the process for them could potentially take longer? Or, I mean, does that make sense? Or do you think that, like, what is a homeowner anticipate like you've talked about the process but they come to you they start getting plans together start figuring out what kind of timeline start to finish will a homeowner expect so our typical custom ad if we're starting from scratch and we're designing something for them we would typically say about eight weeks to design and submit the drawings for permit and then another three to four months to have the permit in hand, given most of the city's timelines response. It's between 30, 45 days to get the first response. Okay. And depending on it, it, it could be longer. So, and then they also have a queue from after you have the plan check approval until the actual permit is in your hand. It could also take a few weeks to permit or a few weeks to a month to have that actually in place because once everything's signed off then you have a permit technician that has to process the permit there's like a payment application someone has to go and pay it somehow all those things take a little time and i don't think uh, a lot of our clients are aware of that time for just a bureaucratic back and forth uh, needed to yes. have that issued so i've heard about so, it from clients <laughs> yeah we can get we could design and get permit documents in pretty fast. It's just about like timing when we start the work, given our workload, the response rate from a client and then seeing something and second guessing it and changing it. And that back and forth is what takes the full kind of eight weeks from okay. us. And then we also have consultants that take a few weeks to get, get to us. So um, I guess if there's any potential clients out there, Kind of think about and and if you're worried about the speed, understanding what you'd like to achieve and what those goals are and how we can help you create those goals on on paper, 
uh, will speed the process up. Because I know a lot of your listeners are probably looking at investment. And even our clients that aren't looking at investment, they are looking at the future on what something will be worth and how sellable that will be if and when they do decide to sell a home. So, Yes, definitely. I mean, it, there's a lot of different nuances to the whole process of getting it done and what you can achieve in the very in the very beginning will help dictate how fast the speed is from start to finish would you say start to finish would be anywhere between eight to 12 months does that sound in line 12 months should be from like contract signed to keys to, to keys yeah that makes sense yeah, like, that should be that should be it like we could we could shrink that down to closer to probably i don't want to say 5 months 5 to 6 months for our pre-designed units if we're able to build um ourselves and we think we have some ways to do that and we're we're getting those numbers in place to have that available we do have some numbers about ready, but um, say you have a signed contract, we could have a permit to you within two weeks. That gives us a, a good runway to be able to have a permit or building created within three to four months. Because um, you're cutting out the back and forth, so to speak, because it's a yeah. pre-planned. Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah. So besides the ADUs, I know that you're doing way more than just ADUs from what I've seen. So in the Bay Area, San Jose, Silicon Valley, what are what are the other cool new developments that people are asking for? Like what are they doing with their their large lots on the corner and you know, because now we have a lot of different things that we can pull off on lots that we didn't we weren't able to do years prior. So what do you what have you been up to there? Yeah, a lot of AB 2011, uh, a lot of builder's remedy, um, bonus density, and ADUs all thrown in there. Um, I think, so SB, or AB, sure now. <laughs> so AB 2011 is the buy right building a multifamily within commercial zones on large corridors. Uh, so your West San Carlos is, um, you know, Monterey Road, um, areas of cities that are zoned commercial that are almost impossible um, not to go into how city budgets work, but you know, that's their their tax basis land, um, and you're able to build multifamily there by right uh, state state rules. So the the caveat is that you need to have a multi uh, a affordable component there. I think it's fifteen percent low income. You also have prevailing wage, which is a more expensive rate in which you pay the people working on your projects. But I think at the end of the day, depending on what your land value is, there's there's things you could do to make that start to pencil. We're still working on a couple of those out off Saratoga Avenue um, and uh, I forgot the other street, but we're working on a couple of multifamily projects there. Um, but what you're able to do is have a, at least 30 dwellings per acre zone um, at a minimum. 
you're able to stack the state density bonus, which adds another 50% capacity to the density that the lot um, uh, allows. So if you're allowed 100 units on the lot, you're able to get 150 if you provide a certain threshold of affordable units. Affordable. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's 15%. Um, so if you use 100, if out of 100 units, 15 of those are affordable, you're able to get a 50% bump. So out of 150 units, you have 15 affordable, you have 130 market, 135 market rate units. Okay. Versus cool. the underlying zoning is just allowing 100 market rate units. So you get 35 extra market rate units by building in uh, the 15. Yeah. Affordable. We need those. You also, you also get to like pierce the height requirement. Um, you get three concessions. You could say no open space, which if you don't have it on your lot, there's in lieu fees and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of advantage to that. Um, and there's also the ADU law. And the ADU law gives you 25% of the units can be ADUs if converted non, non-buildable space. Um so that let's go back to our 150 units now if you have a 150 unit building but you also have a bunch of space for business center or gym or whatever you are whatever you want to call it you can get another 37.5 so 37 units out of that, so now you have 157 or 187 apartments. 37 of those you call an ADU, but it's the same exact thing as across the hall. Wow. So that's interesting. You also get two detached units. So it's actually 139. What are they doing on the detached rentals. units? Well, what, what are the two, two detached ADUs? Wow. If you just okay. have them off from the side, if you have a big lot, um, Again, how you fit it in, I'm not, not completely sure how big the lot is, but um, we, we ran up against uh, this sort of thing on a project we were building in San Jose, and this is a pretty good example. We'd have to go through a PD zoning process, which is you know planning commission, city council, create our own zoning because the city didn't have the underlying zoning that would fit. And since um, since going into that, we we added the density, but not not density bonus. Sorry, yeah, the density bonus. We added some affordable units. We we reduced our fees for the in lieu fees, which is going to be a million plus dollars in fees. We are able to reduce the base of the building to be satisfying the underlying zoning, which is just a site development permit. So no. Um, discretionary hearings now. We're able to get the same amount of units and a bonus. We're able to use the waiver for height, making it taller. Um, so we are only able to do 35 feet with the underlying zoning, but this building is going up to 70 feet tall because of that. Uh, we're also able to reduce the parking. Um, that this, cl- this client actually did not 
reduce the parking. They still have like two two units, two spaces per unit. What type but of yeah, clients do you have of... coming to you? Like, what, what? Tell me your client pool. Is it the yeah, homeowner it's... to the built? Like, break that down. We're probably fifty percent homeowners and fifty percent investors. Um, it's it's probably thirty five percent. Um, sort of hobby investors, someone that has a couple extra properties that they've invested their money to diversify portfolio that I have this rental house. Um, can we do an addition here plus an ADU or just an ADU and I'm going to rent them out? Those type of clients. And then the other 15 are investor like developer types that are actually uh, doing these development Season. type projects. Yeah, th that's their main work whether they're a builder that are doing it for themselves or um someone that has a um, equity stake in in development but we're 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 small and nimble and um all those descriptions but we're not a big established firm with a bunch of people in desk and i think the larger developers um, don't don't view us as a viable option for being able to uh, execute a project but we've I've done enough um, yeah I've seen your projects online they're super cool I like I like the styles of them I think there was one in Santa Clara that you did that was was a lot and then you turned it into two townhouses and was very farmhouse style really modern right. farmhouse that was yeah really the, cool the Myrtle the Myrtle project that that was the development we we developed it's actually in San Jose. It's like very close to Santa Clara University, but um, it's yeah probably ten doors down from the property the the uh, the city limits. So we oh. are doing we are actually doing something s similar to duplex plus two ADUs on the border. So this is the last vacant lot. The neighbor to the north is Santa Clara, which is funny because half of the surrounding area, when you go to notified neighbors of a new development to come talk and talk, say what they don't like about it, well, half of them was a different city. They didn't even have any jurisdiction over it. So no one no one really chimed in on uh, this. Let's go into this about notice of developments. So when those signs go up, and they're everywhere, how much does the public really have in the say of what's going to go on with that development? Are they just there to vet their concerns and then the builder can take some of it in consideration? What are those um, hearings for? Yeah, well, you know, to educate the, the, uh, the crowd here, there are two have um, neighborhood buy-in on the project and to give feedback on things that may or not may not be appropriate for the neighborhood. Um, and in, in an effort to make it, uh, you know, the community more well-designed and um, thoughtful. So typically the, the comments you get are how those projects will be perceived to negatively affect those individual people, not necessarily for the greater good of the community. Um, you know, we had 
standing seam metal roof on our duplex project. I don't see a lot of people complain, but I know that someone in the neighborhood definitely said, well, there's no one else with metal roofs on uh, that's a good point. this neighborhood. So I don't know if that's appropriate, but you know, it's a nice expensive roof and you see a lot of like custom homes all over the Bay area with that kind of farmhouse metal roof. And, uh, it's a much higher end roof, you know, Palo Alto. And there's just a lot of those, uh, those neighborhoods. Um, and to be frank, this neighborhood we were in used to probably be an orchard that had metal barn units and, and garages and stuff, uh, with a similar roof that used to be a utilitarian agrarian building type material. Um, and so we, we ended up talking with this particular person and I think they came to the conclusion. It was a matter of opinion that it didn't really look that bad and they could have it. But I think some of those voices give a little bit too much weight to the process because it's at the discretion of the planner to field those, um, comments and make a judgment as to what's relevant or not relevant. Yeah. I, I, I feel, especially when they're not developers or, you know, architects, it's sometimes hard. I think it's just more of an emotional, you know, comment that, you know, and artistically as well, uh, you know, pointing out a metal roof. And I know what you're saying because, I, you know, I ride throughout Los Gatos and those metal farmhouse roofs are popping up and they're popping up in some of these neighborhoods that are more the Victorian style homes. Yeah. Um, and, but now some of these neighborhoods are going front there. There, there's a lot of mixture because there's old homes and people want different styles now. And so now you're getting a, a mixture of so many different types of homes and you know what? They all blend in very well. And uh, honestly, I think the metal roof look, not that I would want the whole street to look like that, and that'd probably be impossible. But when you do see it, it almost looks fresh and newer. And it feels like the it would probably bring up the property values in that that location because it's a brand new build. Yeah. It's a brand new build. That's correct. And yeah, there's a lot there's a lot there to comment on. Um <laughs> You know, the, when you have new homes in your neighborhood, um, there are new opportunities for people to like start setting the market. So, um, when, when people are buying multiple smaller units, there's more, uh, there's more people, you know, that's, it's, it's bad because they're adding adding more people and more parking, all those things that negatively affect um, people's lives. But that's a big, are, that's a big topic right now. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, parking. Metal roofs and, and, and high density and a single yeah. family neighborhood is not perceived, not perceived well in a lot of locations. I guess it, that's that, what I would yeah, say. Yeah, that's true. But, but regulated housing is, is good. I think in having rules around it and be able to buy, um, small units is very good for those people that are trying to house their kids in their backyard. Who I, I don't think, I don't think parents necessarily 
ideally want their kids in their backyard. And I don't think those kids want to be living uh, the first time out on their own after college, living in a backyard. If they could buy a home, you know, half mile away in someone else's backyard, that's 800 square feet and actually a starter home, it'd be, it'd be awesome. So, you know, the issue is if we don't have these homes, then you have large homes in these neighborhoods converted to, you know, dorms and you have eight people individually living there with eight different cars. Nothing's regulating that from stopping. From happening. Yeah. You can do it everywhere. Right. So adding an ADU or having a duplex plus two ADUs on a single family lot, well-regulated with nice off-street parking, like is a benefit to the neighborhood and adds people that own homes and it's new. They're going to be paying a premium to live there. Um, I, I think it benefits neighborhoods. So I think you need a little bit more open arms with allowing people to live in your neighborhood uh, because most likely yes. they're going to be a young, small, you know, a young family. Um, if, if done well, I think, and, and I think, yeah, there's a lot there. Let me go back to your other question about, um, you know, design well, you know, wait, for and neighborhood. One second. I wanted to tell you something yeah. because you just brought up an amazing point that I didn't even really think about. So, this whole lot split and building duplexes, you know, I remember when that was coming out that there was a lot of agents in Willow Glen that were talking about that were really upset. And, but you brought up a really good point, you know, nothing, you're not stopping anyone from buying a single family home. That's a five bedroom and renting out the rooms individually and having essentially five cars in that, that neighborhood. That is a, that's a big point right there. Um, and or, I know that's popular in like Palo Alto, up Mountain View location. They're doing that already to how house, you know, startups or tech workers that want to work, you know, to get like you want five individuals. So that model is already out there. So all it would take because it's completely legal. What happened if three houses on one street in Willow Glen had that situation and they had now they got 15 cars essentially in front of on that street so you bring up a really good point i didn't you know i'd even think about that like that <laughs> yeah, was a I mean, great that's a great point we think about i think putting yourself in the shoes of of those people that may be living there or maybe building or, or designing it i think as as a homeowner you know i'm sure everyone now in, in the, in the Bay area, Northern California, California in general has some kind of perspective on negative effects of the housing crisis. Like it's, I'm sure they have someone in their, their life that is not able to find an appropriate place for a price they can afford. Um, whether you're trying to buy a house or trying to rent your first place um, as a, a young married couple or something like it just it's really it's really hard it really does um, negative affect um, your livelihood so I think we we need a lot more uh, open solutions to be able to come to a conclusion and I'll, I'll use ADUs as an example of this um, because I think we need a lot more of it with other uh, state law and local jurisdictions. When ADU policy first started in San Jose, 
they were very marginally easier than previous zoning. Like zoning, San Jose's had an ADU law maybe since the mid nineties. It's just really, really hard to get the ADU built. So they added, made it easier. And we had a couple, I had a little couple issues with, because when I'm designing, I'm getting everyone say, Hey, how about my lot? How do you do it? And then I look and I'm like, yeah, this one rule like really makes it hard for you. So I told the city and they said, okay, well, we're gonna have stakeholder meetings and we're gonna like update the ordinance. And those those neighborhood group meetings where where um, the neighbors would give feedback, they were just chock full of people there saying, I tried to do this at my yard and I can't and I want to. And that's what led the city of San Jose to say, we have the we have the political will here of the neighbors and the neighborhoods to get this to pass and be really flexible. So allowing two stories, like not slim, but um, you know, bigger footprints, the thousand square feet, that all that stuff is all because the citizens of the city of San Jose forced them to allow it to happen. We have a lot of property, a lot of empty nesters, um, you know, boomers that, uh have have their backyards kind of going to waste and not a lot of people um at home anymore like we could we could this could be our retirement um income and we could travel the world and do what we could live in the adu we're not going to build our own home uh we've never built a home we could customize it to the little things we like and uh we don't need that much space the two bedroom and uh we'll rent out the main house and in travel. So they, they wanted it right. Similar with, um, with SB nine duplex slot split. I think if you're a homeowner and you have a property that, um, you have very minimal down payment or minimal mortgage payment, if no, or no mortgage payment, you're at a huge advantage. Like the way it's written, uh, your, in the in the driver's seat for developing that property um not only Absolutely, because there's regulation to it right you have to you have to actually be living there right you have to intend to live in one of the units so so it's great for somebody who has a nice lot corner lot that you know has enough in their backyard to build it you lot split it you don't have a mortgage and you could basically go to any bank and get a construction loan to to pretty much get yeah. it done right if There's you got no the title built. issue with your lender because you may not have a loan um you could also demolish the house you don't even need to do the lot split if you want to keep it so let's just play the scenario out um you're a homeowner like you're like i said retired couple ready to travel the world or just not be so tied to their uh, property taxes or whatnot. Um, we could build an ADU for you in the back. You could move into it. We could tear the main house down, build um, two units that are similar, three bedroom, two baths or, or whatnot, depending on how large your property is. Um, there'd be two brand new rentals that would probably go for we're talking about San Jose or Willow Glen, like four thousand plus a month, five thousand dollars a month. 
and they could build another ADU next to yours and get another 3000 or so a month. Um, so wait, wait, how many with, with that process? Let's walk, let's walk through this one. What size lot are we talking? Uh, and you said you basically would build two duplexes. The ADU, yeah, one duplex. you build an ADU at first and live in one the ADU. One duplex, two units. Yeah. One duplex, so, two units. Okay. So just one duplex, two units. Got it. Okay. And then you have the ADU that you'd be, you'd, you'd live in that during the construction part, correct? Right. Okay. So then right. you wouldn't have to be displaced. So if you build something in the back, you could live there. While they demo the house, you know, you, you, there's a lot of older ranch houses on big, big lots in Willow Glen that, um, you know, they could be even nice. What's the but, minimum? What's the minimum you would you would need? So technically, thirty five hundred square foot lot. Um, that's what? really tiny. Yeah, th- th- that's right. Yeah, you can do it on thirty five hundred square feet. Imagine a um, eight hundred square foot. Uh, floor plan and adding a second story on top of that with the stair going up to it. That's a, that's a two, 800 square foot duplex. You can do Right. It. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's it's, just it's kind of, yeah. And all those were, so, and all the, all the regulation f- for this has laxed, so to speak when building these and there's. Yeah. So there's um, with the SB nine policy, it, there's a lot of gray area in the way it was written. So they leave it up to the jurisdiction. There's no watchdog like HCD um, housing community development at the state level to say, you know, you can't do that or you have to do this. Um, they can for ADUs, but not the um, duplex or lot split portion of SB nine. So it's up to the city. San Jose has a very good checklist. Um, I still think there's things that need to be changed to make it, easier even for homeowners and not just the developer types and there's a cleanup bill coming from the state i'm, I'm hoping that's signed I, I don't know i haven't checked in lately where that's at, at but it make it more direct and have hcd give them the, the budget needed to have people make sure jurisdictions are doing what they're supposed to yeah i just yeah you know it's, it's crazy what you really can it really comes down to when you you're thinking of a project is at the end of the day, you want to just reach out to an expert and let them give you your options. Like that's the biggest part of it. Like don't tar- don't try to guess what you can do with your house or your lot. Reach out to somebody and start getting some options, and then you know then you can see what what really works for you. Yeah, that that's because that thirty five hundred square feet lot. Like that's crazy when you put that in perspective. I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. You could yeah, really here's a, here's that a good example of this. So we're working with a client now um, that a builder sent to us, and they're like, "Okay, they want to they want to add an ADU. They're going to add a 750 square foot ADU." Okay, in our meeting today, we're like, "Well, the main house is actually a duplex, which means they could do two ADUs. Do they know they could do two ADUs? This is an investment property. Do they know that instead of one 750 square foot, they could get two 530 square feet or something. Do they know that? Like, no, because they came to us saying this is what they want. And we didn't go through that kind of process of saying what the value is. So what's the best use case for this property and this land? Right. Yeah. And I think 
it's it's uh coming to someone like myself that is really thinking for uh for you through this is is great not that you you can't do it and you can't do your own research but um we do have most people that come to us like okay i've been on the blogs and the youtube and the city's website and i've gone to seminars and talk about adus but they don't know all of the you know all those opportunities that your property may have um you know you might live on a residential block that's actually in a commercial zone that you could then now get five uh five units and if you get over five units that turns into 13 units pretty quickly using the, the things i talked about so um you know as simple as they've made it for adus I would still advise um, talking to us. So we have a couple programs that you're able to utilize with our firm that we're, we're rolling out here. There's a hundred dollar program. You sign up, pay a hundred dollars. You follow our uh, project questionnaire. Be very specific on what you're looking to achieve. This is an investment. This is for a friend or this is for you know family to live in or what can I do here? Question mark. And we'll send you a 10 minute video plus site plan and um, ideas on how to maximize the potential of that property. Um, very quick and easy, uh, but we could run through all those options for you. There's also a $400 option. Um, we'll, we'll do something similar, but we also get a full hour just like we're, we're taking today. And I could talk through all the scenarios, do this custom site plan diagram of what you can do. So one of our clients who's the a builder investor came with us like have I just purchased this property. It's you know, smaller house, decent sized lot. I'm probably gonna put an ADU, but can you take a look at it for me? Okay. Uh, look where at it. where was this at? What was in what city? I think Hayward or Concord. I get those two confused because I have a couple of clients that have properties in Hayward and Concord. Um, I think it's actually Concord within a half mile of BART which is a huge plus because um, there's a lot of zoning and transit incentives you get for being close to BART, which is a high frequency transit hub. And it's also in a multifamily zone. So you can do the math. They could actually get six units on this property. Again, it's a single family. It's a house. Um, So like I said, six units, 15%. If you have one affordable unit, that six unit translates into nine market rate with a bonus density. Um, So nine market rate units. And then if you add 25% of that, that's two more for ADUs. So we can convert the garages that we make into ADUs. How big Uh, was this lot too, by the way? 11 units. How big is this lot? I'm I'm so focused on the lot sizes. I think it's less than 10,000 square feet. I think it's 8,000. I could find out for you. But yeah, I think it's an 8,000 square foot lot. And wait, and this is in a, essentially a residential neighborhood? It's, it's in, um, it's in a multifamily neighborhood. It it is. Okay. Okay. It's a residential neighborhood that, you know, there's BART and it's near to the downtown and, you know, like you, you think of, uh, 
you know, like the like Nagley Park neighborhood in San Jose, just east right. of uh, it's a historic neighborhood, so they wouldn't do this, but um, those neighborhoods should have a density of you know thirty to forty dwelling units per acre. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna target thirteen units there, eleven unit building, and two detached units, no parking. How much was this? Do you know how much he paid? I, I don't know. I think it's one of those um, properties, like probably like a lot of your investors um, that follow you and listen, that they have a property they've been working up for years um, and it became available. Finally, that person said, yeah, we'll sell it. We're tired of dealing okay. with tenants. One of those type of properties. So I don't, I don't know what he paid. I don't even know if it was advertised. I think he just had an like, agreement with them and got it. So I mean, he could be in for... 700k or less um which that's a phenomenal i mean to if you I mean, anywhere in the bay area yeah that's phenomenal less than fifty five thousand per door which even entitled property you could probably sell for 200k a door Mm. so you know like a light bulb moment you're giving me right now adam (laughs) yeah i mean those are those are the things that we try to help help our clients with um you know what's interesting, Adam, when you bring that up? Um, I, I just closed on a property in Kansas City, and it's right over by KU Med, and it's a duplex. It used to be a big estate, and now it's a duplex. So it's a, a 2-1, uh, so it's top-bottom. 2-1 and top-bottom is a 3-2. It's a corner lot. It's 8,000 square feet. It's got a huge backyard. And then on one of the side streets, it's got a detached garage that basically you pull into the garage and you access the garage and you can basically go upstairs to the, the three, two on the, on the main floor. And so I saw the garage and one, I just ended up going, you know what? Woke up one morning. I said, I'm going to call the planning department. So I called city of Kansas city planning department and said, Hey, I just bought this property. What can I do? I want to utilize this, this property the most I possibly can. And she's like, well, you got a detached garage. You could probably build an ADU on top of that. I'm like, great. You know, this sounds great. What else can I do? Can I lot split? It? Can I build something else? She's like, no, you can build one over the, over the garage. And that's about it. I'm like, okay, can I make the garage a four car garage? Because parking's really tight over there. I could rent out some of the spots because of all the, the students. It's just, a, there's just a lot of, there's not a lot of parking. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. So I went in like, okay, well, can we build four car garage? Can I, you know, can I pave the backyard and put a couple storage lockers? Because I know that people need that in the location. So now I'm trying to like, what is the, and all I did was just ask questions. Yeah. And, you know, later today I'm getting on the phone. I'm doing another Riverside actually with an architect out there. And I'm just going to start buying things and looking at properties and just passing it to them. What is the best? use case what can i what would really add value here bring housing what what, what's the best i can do on it just that i know and i think that's the big key is you just have to ask questions that's really what it comes down to instead of assuming what you think can be done yeah ask questions and then clarify um those answers when it comes to to design like we're we're constantly checking back and that's one of the things i was going to mention with um we're talking about call call your architect ha- have an architect 
um, and, and not just someone that can get you a permit for the lowest price because there's a, um, there's some value in paying upfront for, for the design and, um, the value. But even though you've done all the research, we're going to do that research again to verify. We can't, we can't just say, well, you said this, so we, we did it. And now they say we can't permit this. We need to do that ourselves and go through and we, we can't get everything every time. Um, and we, we, the rules are constantly changing and revolving as well. So, um, and we know, we know even rules on the checklists that we don't need to comply with because the city has not had time to update their checklist or uh, we know they're out of compliance and we've pushed them on it and got the state to overrule their city attorney's office. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be us. Hire an architect that has experience in representing you. We, we're like an attorney from a, a three-dimensional attorney. Yeah, that's you a know, good way to look at it. <laughs> we're we're going to be finding value in space you didn't know existed hire the expert <laughs> just hire the. so i want to i want to switch gears a little bit because i didn't i didn't know this in the beginning until i went on your website can you give me the history of the name mayberry workshop and where that came from yeah so it's it's kind of funny that you know like i've, I've always thought um, of having my own practice and, and you know, not necessarily as an architect, but as um, someone, someone creating housing. I, I don't know why housing, but I just, I just like the ability of creating space for people um, and, you know, wanting to build them ourselves, not necessarily I'm an architect, traditional architect, but um, the ability to like work in the build process and the development side and uh, just thinking through, you know, name of my firm type things, playing this, there's always like the Mayberry Architect or Mayberry Studio or, or Mayberry Design or something like that. And I came across this uh, photo of my um, great grandfather's wood shop. My, my, my family was actually, up until my grandfather, were carpenters and builders uh, on the East Coast out in Boston area. Uh, multiple generations of builders and carpenters. And uh, I saw this workshop with, with a, um, you know, Mayberry name on it. I think there's a picture on our website. Um, I saw that. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, workshop is, uh, it's kind of a vague name um, for kind of tinkering and creating. And I think that um, plays into what we, what we do. We, we kind of create, um, and workshop ideas for you and, and, and create value. And, you know, we could be maybe a workshop as a builder. We could be maybe a workshop as a, as an architect or even a developer. Um, legally, we're not a builder. We don't have a general contractor license, but um, we do have partners we work with on the, that side. Um, so yeah, it really came out of uh, that picture, maybe a workshop and my great grandfather's workshop and, that's pretty cool. Bolton, Bolton, Massachusetts. Um, that's great. You came and, from builder family I, too. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, that I really shows it's like in your blood. Yeah. It's generational. It kind of is like I, it, I actually wasn't exposed to anything like that 
um, it just kind of happened in me. So I think it might've been actually some kind of uh, genetic uh, passing down of wanting to be outside and yeah, building stuff. Absolutely. But my grandfather, who I actually did not um, ever meet, he passed away before I was born, but he was an engineer and a tinker and, and built stuff. But he has, I'll have to f- do a post on it. Um, there's a little toy kit he created of a home, almost like a little ADU. And it's in a little, he created a box and created the branded marketing and a little guide to how you frame it using little balsa wood pieces and they're all pre-cut. And he was like trying to create this as like a toy product that you'd sell to to kids to to make them. And it's really cool. I have to, I have to get a um, couple pictures of it. That's that's really cool. You know, it's funny. My so my brother. I don't know. I probably told you this. My brother used to be a general contractor, but now he's a city inspector for uh, Sunnyvale. Mm. But I guess he was over you at. Did you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you let me know. That's where he's at now. He's trying to okay. get in with San Jose too. He's well. I think he's trying to interview there, or maybe. Um, but he was doing work over at my parents' house, and they have a den. And I guess he was cleaning out something in the top in the rafters, and. He came, he goes, dude, I just found all your work from when you were doing drafting in like seventh grade <laughs> and all these houses you were building and this, these, like, he's like, dude, these drawings are amazing. He's like, this is really cool. I go, you know, I, I told him, I go, that was one of my favorite classes. <laughs> Here's what's crazy. The drafting class was one of my favorites. The other was TV journalism. And when I, and that TV journalism, what I do remember is we had our final assignment where we had to shoot a commercial and I did a, I, back then I was into heavy metal. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it on heavy metal. And I, I hired a couple uh, students to like dress up in heavy metal gear. And I did this whole thing. And now you fast forward to now and I'm, you know, in my fifties and those two things from junior you know middle school mm-hmm. are coming to play now it's the most strangest thing i mean i i don't know what architect is it looks really cool but if is it more of an engineer do you have to have more of an engineer background like w- w- what does an architect have to do for schooling yeah depending on what school you go to um there's a lot of mass i think a lot of people get um dissuaded by the mass but um, it's it's probably one of the most well-rounded majors or um, the most uh, things. So from like I went to Cal Poly from a general education requirement perspective, we have the most general education classes required and the most major <laughs> classes required. I think I think we might be the only five-year degree at Cal Poly. That's not a four plus two or four plus one type master's program um but yeah a lot of math we took engineering calculus based engineering uh six quarters of that um of architectural engineering classes and uh yeah a lot of design thinking it's it's really what the what the benefit of an architect is is design thinking thinking through issues and problems spatially to solve them um, and that could be graphic design, how to diagram something, um, how to create packaging, 
or home or how to how to like critically think through code or issues that people come with. I have a home right now we're working on and I've been working on it for about it's what August. Yeah. Like or September probably eight or nine months back and forth about how to meet the fire requirements for an addition on a 10,000 square foot house. And, um, we're what just city? not getting to a conclusion. This is what a county. City? It's Santa Clara County. Santa Clara County. It's okay. rural and there's like fire. It's all about protection, you know, in the event of something going wrong. But um, we we didn't want to put fire sprinklers throughout a 10,000 or an existing 8,000 square foot house to get in a thousand square foot addition. So we're like testing hydrant. Um, there's another hydrant. So testing both the hydrants at the same time to see if we got the flow correct it's a private water so it's it's there's a lot to it but we're i'm constantly thinking through how can we get this done without having to totally disrupt this family's life in the house and and kick them out for a week or two and today it might be the quickest easiest solution but it's just money and effort that we're telling them to just pay more and move out for a while it's that's not what we're trying to do we're trying to get it done cheaper and outside um modifying the house so you know it's, there's always things like that like like i said thinking through code and opportunities that aren't specific what who break down who's on your team um so when somebody comes to hire you who is on your team that's working on behalf of the clients because <laughs> you gotta i know you got i know you got a group yeah, I mean, we have, um, you know, I have project managers and architects, designers, all all architecturally trained. Um, we have a admin staff that help with communications, but we have multiple engineers, multiple structural engineers, multiple landscape architects, multiple soils engineers, land, uh, uh, surveyors, and civil uh, engineers. We we typically like to have one contract with the client and we manage everything else. So when payment comes to us and we, we distribute to our consultants, that way we can control them and, and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to. Um, you know, sometimes that's not always in our best interest because I, we can't physically force them to do those calculations or designs, but um, sort of the risk we're taking, but uh, you know, we have, older people that don't work anymore um, that we call and ask advice on, or how would I deal with this? Um, we have younger up and coming structural engineers that are going their practice and it's easy for them to just get over to a property and take a look. Um, whereas, you know, some of the older, more established firms like pretty busy until next week. So we, we're Time. able to mold uh, how we do things. And again, you know, sometimes like, let's just wait till next week. At the end of the day, it's not going to save us time. And it may save you money in the long run because it's not going to take you months. This person will get it done and, and do it right the first time. So, you know, we had those discussions with our clients and who were, who were hiring uh, on their behalf and they, they can help make the decision with us. Yeah. I've been working with an architect right now on a, Pro, uh, new development in, in Willow Glen that we're going to do. It's it's just 
we're adding square feet and I met with him and I go, you know, okay, here's my vision. And I just wanted to know that how I was thinking it, it was going to be in line with what he was going to be, you know, put into the computer and see what he, he came up with. And 50% of it was accurate. But then it was funny, the, the other part of it of where he, you know, rearranged bedrooms in the front of the house. I was like, oh my gosh, that looks, that's amazing. You know, like I didn't think of that, but just how he took the space and, and changed it. And it wasn't a dramatic change. It was just moving bedrooms from one left side to the front of the house. But, mm -hmm. you know, it was just crazy. It's just a very intriguing, I probably, I probably could never be an architect as the fact that I'm not the greatest at math. I'm not an engineer brain whatsoever. I think I'm more of a kind of a, a visionary creative type that would just like bounce an idea off you and then run with it and pick out, you know, fixtures and tile <laughs> and things like that at the end and feel good about it. But uh, I really, it, it's just, I really, I really love the whole process of it, you know, I'm, and I'm learning more about it right now. And, and it's kind of where for me moving forward, I think this is the direct direction I'm going to be going is more development because I just love that. I've been, I think once I started doing, you know, flips and, you know, building out houses that are all in distress and get taking them there. This is just the natural progression now moving forward. I noticed that. And um, yeah, so it's been really great picking your brain and getting to hear what you do. I mean, we've talked a lot, but it's just good to hear a little bit more in, in depth. But if so, with the audience, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at maybeworkshop.com. Um, we'll give you a link that will go straight to those kind of two scenarios I said for the best way to evaluate your property. Um, that will get your foot in the door and, and get us all the information we need to help evaluate the property um and uh from there you're kind of in in our system to to help yeah create that value for the property we'll we'll link it in this episode as well i'll put your instagram in there too if you want people following yeah, you maybe workshop at maybe workshop on instagram yeah we're right. uh we're we've been on a lull on the social media while we're getting other things <laughs> worked out with office space and uh um, employee sort of development, um, but we're going to get in a, a more flow of kind of creating some value and content for people as well. Um, part of the, please do, yeah, you yeah. have cool stuff on the, you know, you you got cool stuff on there already, and and I'd love to see some of your projects in real time and video. I, I think it'd be great, especially people love to see that. They love to see. Something yeah, starting do. from the beginning and, and being and getting finished. I think it's just huge. Gives them a visual too of what they can do with theirs. Absolutely. Yeah. We we gotta um have a you gotta set it, you gotta set the deadline, you gotta set the appointment to post stuff. Um but we're uh solely focused right now on getting getting clients work out the door and uh permitted and built for them. So um I've been spending a lot of my time doing that. And awesome. uh, we'll be we'll be delegating some of the social media stuff. Uh, Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you, Adam, for spending an hour with me and chatting. I appreciate it. I know yeah, it's been. A, I know we were trying for weeks here, but I'm glad we we finally got it done. 
yeah, it's great. Great to chat. I love, love, uh, being able to explain these things and the opportunities for people, because I, I think, um, you know, I could, I could say confidently, I'm kind of a unique, uh, type that, um, is really trained as, as the development side of architecture and have, have geared most of my career towards that. So, um, I just need to get out there and explain more of that value to yes. our potential clients and customers. Well, thank you. I appreciate it once again. And uh, yeah, we'll get this rolling and we'll get all your links in there. And hopefully some people could reach out and be inspired from what you're saying to look into what they can do with, with their lot, especially now that I, I know that you had some, I had some light bulb moments with you, just the 3,500 square foot. I'm like, Oh gosh, yeah. I can just build up. That's great. So I appreciate yep. it. That's kind of tight though. It's, it's legally you can, <laughs> but it's tight. 8,000 yeah. corner lot, 10,000 corner lot is nice. That's a nice. Yeah, you're ready to go. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a great day and we'll be talking to you soon.